The workforce of this current generation is set to work more years than previous generations. And in the drive to succeed within this environment, some young professionals are at risk of compromising their mental health and wellness just to demonstrate their dedication to the organizations they work for. So today, we'll unpack how young professionals manage their mental health and work to succeed. Young professionals have grown up in a world that has been characterized by constant change and uncertainty, particularly due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Young professionals face increasing psychosocial risks at work owing to concerns about finances, job security, and failing to meet their career goals. Welcome to the Reimagined Mental Health series on Investec Focus Radio SA, brought to you by Investec Life. I'm Katie Katapodis. In this episode of the podcast series, we'll discuss managing your mental health as a young professional. Joining me for today's discussion is Taylor Georgia, Chartered Accountant at Investec, Dr. Tsepile Kladi, Interim Chairperson of the Junior Doctors Association of South Africa, and the Interim Vice Chairperson of the South African Registrars Association, and Chantal Oersthuizen, the Executive Director for the Cyril Ramaphosa Education Trust. Welcome to all of you. What an important conversation we're about to have today. Dr. Kladi, let's start with you, Interim Chairperson of the Junior Doctors Association of South Africa. Doctors in South Africa have had a really rough time in the past few years. You can say that again. It has been really, really difficult. Uh, COVID really kind of brought about a, a massive kind of shapeshift or kind of change of how you see your career in the future because it was so unprecedented and so many of us suffered from some serious mental health issues because of it. And a lot of people left themselves questioning whether or not they want to be doctors. Yeah, so it was, it was, it made it very difficult. And now we are kind of coming out of that. We are kind of readjusting back into the post-COVID um, life as doctors. Is that a tough transition? It's difficult depending on whether, whether or not you still see your career the same pre and post COVID, you know, um, like I myself kind of changed my trajectory into the, into the discipline and went for a more non-clinical position or training or speciality. So I now work, um, in the lab. And I focus mostly on diagnostics, uh, which is a severely understaffed kind of environment. Uh, but yeah, that's what I do. I don't interact with patients anymore. Uh, and I thought that kind of would bring me peace because now you no longer necessarily feel like you're responsible for, for people's lives, even though, you know, technically are because mm. the, the diagnoses that you make are very important, but it just, it, it just feels better because you don't have a physical person kind of there dependent on you or them dying on you and their family members. Uh, you don't get to see the suffering in their eyes. It just, it's just kind of better for, for my mental health. And did it bring you the peace you were so craving? Yes, it did. It did bring me peace. Uh, I'm in love with what I'm doing now. Better yet, I mean, uh, even though I spend my nights studying, uh, but I don't spend my nights in the hospital, which is a big stressor for all doctors because calls are one of the things that, you know, even even if you like what you do as a doctor, it's the one thing that you most people absolutely do not like because it takes away so much from you in terms of the time you spend with your family, the time doing the things that make you happy, the time you spend resting because it messes up with your sleep schedule. Even, I mean, even it makes you even more 
error prone, you know, which also plays its role on your mental health if you're making mistakes as a doctor, because your mistakes are, have got very big implications on a person's life. I think maybe you might not see it in the greater scheme of things, oh, it's a mistake on one person, but for that person, that's their entire life, you know. Um, so a lot of doctors will tell you, you know, if, if I could do what I'm doing now, like surgery or anesthetics, general medicine, but if I didn't have to do calls, this would be perfect. A lot of, a lot of people would say that. That's very brave. Tyler, I want to bring you in here as a young professional. It's not always easy, is it, to make those very hard decisions that are going to change the trajectory of your career, but bring you the peace that Dr. Clady is talking about? Yeah, 100%. And I think a lot of the time we think of our careers as a constant sort of linear inclining um, sort of equation when actually a lot of the time it's very tailored to what we're going through at a particular point because, you know, we all, you mentioned it earlier, have these different sort of holding environments, whether it be the macroeconomic environment and the pressures we face financially or things that are happening at home. And so for many people, similarly to the doctor, you know, dependent on what's going on in your life at that particular given point, it's actually really important to really assess and see, you know, at this moment, what's important for me in my career that's sustainable and that's going to get me to where I need to get to. And that changes from time to time. So, um, you know, in your 20s, you want to be a rock star, sort of private equity, um, <laughs> you know, all these sexy financial professional concepts that you sort of dream about, you know, coming out of high school and varsity. And when you actually realize the reality of what it means to live that, when you realize the reality of what it is to support your family, the reality of what it means to live in a country where there's um, high unemployment, you actually have to sort of align all of that to everything that's constantly going around you. And so I think we need to be more comfortable to understand that it's not this constant, but it's this thing that can morph and you mold yourself as and when you get to it, you know? So I'm not going to be indelicate and ask you how old you are, but I will ask you how long have you been working in the professional space here at Investec? I started my articles in 2018 and yeah, it's 2023 now, so about five years. It's been a bit of a journey, but not not necessarily as long as, as uh, 10 years. Other people. Has it been intense? It has been did you, intense. Did you expect that level of intensity coming out of university? Definitely not. And I do think um, in financial services and investment banks, there is a, a very high level of intensity and not only necessarily in South Africa, but, you know, you see it in the U.S. and we've seen it in the investment banks in the U.S. And, and the U.K. with actually mental health post the pandemic. A lot of people are actually focusing on it because it's actually been brought to the forefront. So there's really been a step change because firstly, you come out of varsity and you get into a practical environment and the learning curve is actually quite steep relative to what it was at university. Given that, you know, if you're doing chartered accounting or medicine or law, you're also still studying for the most part because you're writing board exams. So it doesn't stop. You're it working, stop. you're studying, it doesn't you're stop. living all quite simultaneously. 100%. Chantal, are we hearing young people enough in our country? Are we having these very brutally honest conversations that actually say from a very young age, I'm not coping. I didn't expect this level of intensity straight out of university to be thrown into the deep end. I can't even begin to imagine what the impact of COVID has had on our youth. And we will talk about those years when perhaps you're, you're still developing, eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, whether you are um, a teenager. And what has happened to them, uh, effectively COVID took two years of our lives away. And I think that the impact will be seen in generations to come still because it has impacted things like communication, personal interaction. It's impacted so many things. And I don't know if we're listening to the problems that have come through with our youth. Mm. I get a sense that the listening needs to 
start much earlier, though. And so you mentioned the eight, nine-year-old, you mentioned the teenager. And I want to bring you all in here because it's one thing to focus on young professionals, but the pressure and the intense pressure starts many years before that. So, Doc, from your perspective, are we normalizing this level of pressure and how healthy or unhealthy is it? Definitely normalizing it. Um, I think in, in multiple industries, it's been normalized, you know. Personally speaking, going into internship from medical school, you're already being told this is how it's going to be. You're not going to fight the system. If you want to survive, you just you better uh, develop a thick skin. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to survive and people are going to kind of walk all over you and it's not going to be fine. And when it comes to, you know, younger children and you, and you, and I try to compare what the children these days are going through at school versus what we're going through in terms of pressure. Not, not necessarily in terms of the curriculum, which has definitely developed since since we've been at school. That just the pressure to perform is very, very intense. And to hear the amount of children that are suffering from anxiety and mm. depression from school is crazy. I got the revelation in varsity that actually school wasn't that bad. <laughs> you got to you got to varsity and you said, wow, is this what I was complaining about? But there wasn't that much pressure from the outside. Maybe I put pressure on myself. Maybe my parents put pressure on me. But it was always a thing of, oh, if you got a B for something, oh, it's okay. You'll try again next month. But nowadays, uh, we get the sense that you know, children are not allowed to have a bad term or, or just to underperform for one exam. I just think about the matric exam results. Are they not astounding? to you because we are seeing we are seeing young people coming out of matric with seven eight nine ten distinctions that was unheard of when I was at school and I'm sure for some of us around this table hello maybe not uh, not for you <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I think you 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 sort of like hit the nail on the head because I mean even if you look at those level and the quality of results that are coming out of high school but you look at the put-through rates at university you actually realize that there's a massive disconnect you know in between that those two those two breakpoints that students are under so much pressure um, and the high performance environment that they're actually expected to perform in at any given moment and if they do make it on the other side outside of university they enter into the next high pressure environment which is the workplace and you know we sort of hope that they'll do well and remain okay and I think you know, as, as as the doctor just pointed out, we've actually normalized it. You know, it's quite interesting because post-COVID, we keep hearing this new normal. Everything is a new normal, you know, and, and, and the world just rationalizes. You know, it's actually worth asking, how sustainable is that? Because for many people, there is a breaking point. And so it's really important that we have that conversation. Yeah, I think the burnout conversation is a critical one. And it's a conversation we have to have about young people but actually with parents and teachers at that level. Because if we're pushing so hard, by the time they get to varsity, are they not burning out? They're peaking too soon. It just is a very serious one. Chantal, can I bring you in here? Uh, what have you found have been the most compelling findings from your recent CRET student survey regarding the transition into the professional workspace? I think there's so many elements to this, but I call it the great disconnect. And I think it's been raised here already. We talk about going from school to university and we're talking pressure all the way from university into the workplace. And it just doesn't get better. And you think it is. You always believe that it's going to be oh, as soon as I can start working. Now, there are so many challenges that our youth are facing. So one of the things we have found a great deal is we have students who want to continue studying all the time. And the reason why they want to continue studying is because of that great fear around unemployment in our country. So how do you empower them uh, then if they are average students? What 
attributes do they need to have to land that job? There are many attributes, but I believe in constant learning, always learning, and we should all be on a learning journey, no matter how old we actually are. Um, but so, I mean, we talk of micro credentials. Now, all of our students um, that are on our program are exposed to a number of interventions, one of them being psychosocial support. So uh, mental wellness has been a, a very big thing for us for a long time. But I always encourage our students to get involved wherever you can. We need to be volunteering. We need to be getting workplace experience. And I think that's where we as an older generation can be intervening also. Please give opportunities to the youth. Let them come into our offices. I work with a lot of disadvantaged people. I mean, one of my students had never been into Santon. And I drove them into Santon and they couldn't believe that we have buildings like this. They've seen stuff on TV. It, it's mind-blowing. We need opportunities and we can give opportunities to our youth without it having to cost thousands of rands and things. And that's all I want my own students to be exposed to. Yeah, and I just, just want to add to that. I think, and I understand that university, the university course is already so intense and there's already a lot of volume, but I think that it's also important that in whatever course you're studying, that they also need to empower you with other skills other than what you're studying. That will also help you to kind of find a way if you're struggling to find a job afterwards. For example, we had no financial education in med school at all. It was just, you know, you have to learn the human biology, you have to learn the diseases. Okay, now go out and, and, and be a doctor. But we don't even know how to manage our own finances. That makes us quite a vulnerable population for kind of misleading advice from people in other courses may teach people how to code you know that's the that's the new language now how to code how to use javascript you know like give people skills outside what they're doing now because in the outside world it's not just okay you're an accountant you're doing accounting as our most recent graduate hello do you agree with that approach do you think that is what universities and tertiary institutions be it colleges or universities actually have to adopt in their places of learning yeah 100 percent. because i do think the the Theoretical is important, but practically, you know, applying it in the real world actually becomes um, very challenging. I mean, that some of the most important stuff that you actually learn at work is actually not taught at university. You know, when you talk about grit, when you talk about finding a way, when you talk about problem solving, you know, these are not things that are written down on textbook, you know, taking initiative. We spoke about students actually um, going out and looking for, for opportunities and trying to find a job. There's no manual, you know, currently in the country that says, if you do this, you, the probability of you getting a job is is higher than this how to conduct a job interview how to conduct a job interview that's you know? such critical do you do you do any of that uh, we certainly do mm. yes i think it's it's very important i was having a discussion with um one of our interns yesterday and she said that having the opportunity to have the internship was so big for her but that she'd come straight out of university without any of those skills they don't teach you at university how to write a cv mm-hmm. how to um, go for an interview and she said that she feels that in the workplace, perhaps she is using 30% of the stuff that she learned at university because it was so the- theoretical. And 10% of it is just like trying to find her feet and make, make it work. And that's hard. Absolutely. And the rest is coming from what she's learning from her peers. So we've got to be sharing with, you know, I mean, with our youth, we've got to be doing that. And mentorship is so important. Suddenly you land in the workplace and everybody wants a piece of you and you don't know how to cope with that. It's life skills. And I think, you know, such an important point um, is is that exposure. I mean, even a first generation graduate, it's so difficult in your lineage to be that first person because no one else has done it before, you know, for you to be doing an interview and you've never stood at the corner of Ravonia and Grayson Drive ever in your 
your life. And now you're taking all this in, but also expected to, to translate your competence. It's just such a tall ask. I once interviewed a young woman for a reporter position, a television reporter position, and she was in pajamas in the interview. It was virtual. It was during COVID. And I just wished in that moment, I wished somebody had said to her, this is how you conduct an interview. Uh, wearing pajamas is just not it, you know, because unfortunately it disadvantages you, whether you realize it or not. First impressions do last, eh? Mm, they do. <laughs> they do. But, you know, just listening to everybody talk, I almost get a sense that we've got to turn the education system on its head. It's not something that we're going to solve, you know, the four of us around this table at the moment. But as opposed to wanting to use some of the language that they use in schools and varsities, getting exam fit, is something I'm hearing a lot now. I think we should be talking to our children about being well and looking after yourself. And, you know, Doc, you said it earlier, it's it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, it's very, it's very much okay not to be okay. And I think we often associate our, our mental well-being to our competence at work. And that's definitely not true. You know, if you're somebody who's very driven and you work very hard and you drive yourself into a very deep burnout and now you can't perform at the level that you're used to performing at and you decide okay i need to take a break step away from work get some rest uh, or you know you start to struggle with absenteeism uh, because you're just suffering from depression or anxiety that does not necessarily mean that you're not good enough at the job it just means that you're not taking care of yourself and we need to start emphasizing that we need to take care of ourselves. I mean, if you don't take care of yourself, you, there won't be, a, at the end of the day, there won't be a job for you. You know, it's quite interesting because um, I'm a big football fan and you look at sort of football teams and the training and regiment they actually have to go in to actually be fit to play. And when you compare a modern footballer to a footballer from 40, 30, whatever, 50 years ago, and you look at the footballer being injured and how they sort of look at the footballer and the physiotherapist and all these different sort of coaches who look at this element of the football and look at the heart and look at the, the mind, you know, and it's very similar in varsity. I mean, I'll speak about corporate. We've actually become corporate athletes. The way we've thought about your mind and mental health, I think, you know, it's, it's sort of lagged how we've thought about our bodies because our mind is a muscle. If you look at the level of attention that Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi gets now around them when they go to the World Cup. It should be exactly the same for a corporate athlete to say, you know, are you looking after yourself? Are you healthy? Because your brain is actually a muscle. And so I think a lot of the times that we spoke about this earlier when they said millennials, you know, are they seen as lazy because we never used to focus on mental wellness? But I think it's because we've thought about the mind and mental wellness conceptually in the wrong way. Sort of as an athlete needs so much attention, how much more if you're a corporate athlete or a student who's using their mind. Because if you're an academic, that's what, that's the muscle you're using. If you're a footballer, it's your legs. If you, you know, and so I think conceptually, the world is now catching up to how we're actually supposed to be looking at this, at, the, at this problem. Corporate athletes, I just love, love that. I'm going to Absolutely. coin it. I think you need to trademark it. Is, it, is just, <laughs> it is absolutely superb. It is exactly what is going on. You've reminded me of something that DJ Black Coffee said to me um, in a recent interview that we did. He said his mind, he treats his mind like his pet because he makes sure that it is well-fed, well-rested, looked after, because if he doesn't do that, then mental 
wellness issues become a real consequence and that ill health. So, oh, I love that corporate athlete. I've actually written that down. Just to go back to what Chantal was saying, I think one of the biggest challenges with mental health is that it does not manifest itself in one way. You know, if somebody has a flu, runny nose, sore throat, you know, and you, you've got one way of treating it. Mental health manifests itself in multiple ways. It can either be low mood, can be a loss of appetite, insomnia, can have physical symptoms. You know, there are a lot of different ways that it manifests and how you manage it is also different. You know, some somebody might just be fine talking to, to their friend. Somebody might be okay just seeing a psychologist. Somebody might need to be on medication. And that's what complicates it because there's no one way of treating it. And because it's not well understood and at the back of everyone's mind is that, okay, fine, I understand that you're unwell, but you still need to meet your targets. Nobody has the patience for it. And somehow we need to find a way to, to kind of, okay, meet your, your deadlines to a certain extent, but also find time to, to work on yourself and be, be mindful of the fact that it probably will take a long time. Mm. And also being mindful of the fact as employers to be conscious of that, the fact that it can spill out sideways. And so uh, an overreaction to a, to a small issue may actually have nothing to do with that issue at all. But this is someone who's really, really struggling. Doc, I'm sure you've seen that as well. It happens all the time. And I, we also see it in our senior colleagues. You know, we, we, as, junior, as junior doctors, we actually don't really understand what our senior colleagues are going through because we see them as, oh, look, they've made it their specialists now. They're probably living life like soft and they've got time to spend with their families they don't have to study but we actually don't realize how much pressure they carry we don't realize how much weight their decisions carry in the patient management because if i have a, if i have a diagnosis i always give it to my consultant and say okay what do you think it is you know and for me it's easy to say it's this and for him or her uh, they have to make that decision and live with it is there an additional stigma attached to doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals in particular, because you're supposed to be helping others. Yes, definitely. It's one that is not spoken about openly, but there definitely is. Whereas maybe it's normal to apply a little bit of pressure on everyone, uh, pressure to study, pressure to do better. Now, one might find, oh, I don't know how to address this. Maybe let me not speak to this um, junior doctor, this nurse in, in any way, because you're afraid that you know, you don't know how to navigate the fact that this person is struggling mentally. And I think that there's a result of not understanding that people actually suffer mentally just because i'm you know struggling mentally doesn't mean that you should avoid talking to me but rather you should learn how to address issues with me mm. uh, Chantal, i wanted to ask you about young people um and mental wellness and mental well-being what have you found are the most common mental health issues that aspiring young professionals suffer from when it comes to the job search in particular anxiety i think i think that anxiety and depression are are high up on the list and like the doctor said, I think that can lead to many other implications or complications. So there are definitely problems around um, substance abuse and it impacts, uh, I guess, your own mental wellness anyway. I'm sorry, I was going to pick up the point of anxiety and and um, I've actually been sort of sort of meditating myself around patience. And I think, you know, patience, I mean, I'm going to draw, draw a point to it that, you know, being patient, like you're going to wait, but being patient is about how you wait. And I think it's similar with anxiety is that you will experience anxiety, but it's about how we deal with anxiety. I think as a young person and as a young professional is sort of what I've seen is, is the big difference because it's almost like you try rid yourself of the anxiety, similarly with how I've been struggling with sort of like patience, sort of like 
I'm going to be patient, but it's not so much about that, but it's about how you deal with it when you're in that environment. And so picking up on understanding that, look, I'm going to feel um, anxiety, but how do I actually deal with it in a constructive and healthy way? Because if I don't, that's when it can be debilitating to how I sort of approach the world. So you've, you've almost answered the exact question I was about to ask you, to say as a young professional in the workspace, we know that it's really busy and intense and there is a lot of pressure. How do you unwind and do you take the time to actually say, I need to focus on me now? 100%. And I think that's so important when you say you need to focus on on you and yourself. I think firstly, maintaining a certain element of balance, because I think that's the first thing that when you work in corporate sort of like gets you be, you be unstudied, that you don't necessarily have balance. You're always working, you're always focusing on your problems, you're always studying. And so I think the first thing really is creating balance. You know, whether that balance means working out, whether that balance means spending time with your family, doing things that sort of take your mind off work. And that's such an important point within corporate where you're expected to always perform at this sort of high level. But, you know, you can't perform at that high level if you're constantly engaged. There's no one who can do that. You know, you have to take time to create a sense of balance to let yourself breathe and recover. It reminds me of that wonderful um, oxygen mask analogy that people often use. If you're in a plane, don't even consider helping anybody else unless you've put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Otherwise, you're completely debilitated. Yeah. I just want to touch on anxiety. Anxiety that's easy to recognise is easier to treat. You know, somebody struggles with panic attacks or they become easily overwhelmed. It's easier to recognize it and kind of seek help. The more difficult anxiety is the one that I think a lot of people have that they don't even realize that they're anxious um, until you tell them, why are you sitting up straight? Just can you relax? You know, um, can you can you watch TV without thinking about work or the next thing that you need to do? Can you, you know, just relax. So it's a very difficult kind of amalgamation of having good stress and that becoming anxiety because there's good stress, which is what keeps you going, right? But if you can't turn that off, then it ends up becoming anxiety. And if it goes on for a long time, you actually never know how to relax. So I think it's very important that people actually, we need to become mindful. And it's such an important point that you raise because I think like, it sort of like erodes slowly. It's like, it's this compounding effect. Yeah. I suppose that's the challenge for corporate South Africa, for more corporates to approach the workplace in a multi-dimensional way. Because we're not one-dimensional human beings. We're not just chartered accountants. We're not just doctors. We're not just journalists. We are so much more. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, with COVID, you know, the blessing in disguise is that it's actually shown that we need to be healthy to be functional. For the first time, corporates realize that, that we don't just do business at any expense. You know, we actually have to look after our people because ultimately, you know, that's what comes first. And so I think the hope is that corporate South Africa will start putting people, you know, at the forefront before profits, before operations, before because you're human, before you're anything else. I think in terms of seeking or the availability of psychosocial support, it's very difficult because it's, it's limited by the number of counsellors that are present, mm-hmm. firstly. And secondly, often people think that the time to reach out for psychosocial support is when you are under psychosocial uh, stress. And I'm of the belief that it should just be a norm of life, right? In the ideal world, you should be, you should be meeting up with a counsellor, a psychologist once a quarter, you know, just to talk. A debrief. Exactly. Just debrief, you know, just kind of keep yourself in, know where you are in terms of your mental space because that will help you further than trying to now fix 
all these negative coping mechanisms that you've developed over time, um, which now complicate everything going forward. I love that. To normalize it because it speaks to the stigma again. Um, where and, and I think a lot of men um, don't want to be able to speak about emotions or not being able to cope. So I love what you're saying, that if we normalized it and I'm going to see my, my shrink today, be okay. Can we talk about the phenomenon in South Africa? Young professionals, young black professionals specifically, who've got the added responsibility of what has come to be known now as black tax. How does this weigh on young, successful professionals in our country? It's massive. I mean, we were actually ch- chatting with the doctor earlier that we're both actually getting married. And, um, you know, just apart from work, you know, your family is expectations. Some of us come from households where you're a first generation graduate and the family looks to you to provide and to support. But at the same time, there's expectations of Lobola and Membeso and all these other different concepts. But then at work, you're expected to submit this report and sort of like these high performance targets that you constantly need to live up to. But at the same time, there's these macros that exist in the country where we don't have electricity, there's high interest rates, inflation is rising, the, the cost of your food basket is actually so much higher and contextually um, where we are you land up having to carry all these things as a young professional um, which we've termed as, as sort of a sort of black tax that at times you don't even notice is actually black tax because you consider it but when you look at your context relative to other people's context you realize how much you're actually taking on because of where you find yourself the particular family you find yourself in um, and I think it's something that's actually not spoken enough of because you come to corporate and it's almost like we're all the same. But actually, there's so much more context that is involved in you actually performing at work outside of you just being there on Monday. Mm. And despite the pretty decent salary you may be getting, you know, you might have managers who look at, at, at a whole host of young black professionals who say, no, they're being paid relatively well. But it's the context that's critical because those rants and cents can only stretch so far if there are all of these contextual issues that we're dealing with. I think one of the first experiences that I had during internship that kind of solidified that black tax is a real thing. Never mind my my background, but I remember I was lucky enough to have a car in university. So when I got into internship, I already had a car. A lot of my black colleagues didn't have cars. And also some white colleagues didn't have cars, but like it felt like they could you know, afford to get a car sooner. And I remember one of my colleagues uh, got to one of the meetings late, which started at half past seven, and they relied on the hospital transport to get to work. And one of the consultants said, how oh, you're a doctor now, how do you not have a car? Right? That was my first experience. And then my second experience was... But that's so tone deaf. Yes. Before you go on to your second experience, that is just so tone deaf of the society that we actually live in in our country. Yes. Mm. At that time, I didn't realize it. I was like, okay, that's a bit harsh, but okay, whatever. Right? The next one I had was, why do you guys have such bad furniture? I lived with my with my my friend from varsity. We were roommates at the doctor's quarters. Why do you guys have such bad furniture? Like, you guys get paid so much. I'm like... You actually have no idea where my money goes, hey? That's terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's when I actually started realizing, I'm like, listen, we might be getting paid the same, right? But what I get to spend on myself and all these things that you see, it actually is not the same as yours. You know, I've got student loans, okay? I had to take out overdrafts to move, to go to graduation. I had a sick grandmother that I had to bury. 
It was a lot of financial stresses that I was feeling. There were people who had family that had family members who relied on them. Luckily, our, my family wasn't that heavily reliant on me, but the people who had family members reliant on them, you know, the houses to, to renovate, they are children to feed. And those are, those are things that are very difficult and it, it creates a lot of internal turmoil in you because on the one hand, you actually want to help. Right. On the other hand, you feel like you helping is actually pulling you down because you actually never get the things that you want. You never get to progress because at the end of the day, you also want to progress. Like I also want, you know, one day drive a nice car like my colleagues or live in a nice house and have nice furniture like my colleagues. But it, it becomes very difficult because now you feel guilty for being upset. Right. But also you want to empower yourself and say, but like, I need so to So complex. Spend. Yeah. It's so complex and multi-layered. How do you think we can actually get to a point where young South Africans at tertiary level, black and white, are understanding the context of our country similarly? 100%. And I think, um, you know, the challenge is to, um, like the doctor and myself that are now in these spaces that have this context. Although I'm a black individual, I think I've been raised with a lot of privilege and actually earning my privilege and understanding it and seeing how do I actually use it to give back. And I think if every single one of us can do our little bit, and if I see someone coming into Investech and I see that they don't have a car and I see that they're struggling financially or I see that they're struggling to navigate their environment, you know, actually taking them and assisting them in navigating I think especially as a South African, you know, if we think of the concept and as South Africans of Ubuntu, you know, I am because you are, you know, we have this massive inequality in the country, this gulf between the haves and the have-nots. And so if we have this sort of like myopic view with blinders on where you just look at yourself, um, despite everything that's going on around you, you know, I don't think that's a sustainable sort of pathway for us. And um, I think for our country. So I do think that as a South African, there is a burden on every single South African, whether you're white, black, Indian, you know, whatever it might be, that you actually do do something for someone else. Because, you know, for many of us, I mean, even myself, I wouldn't be here if someone didn't actually take out of their time to give my dad a bursary, who then managed to become what he is, who then managed to put me through varsity. And so it's, it's important to me that I actually give back. And so... Um, just the context that we live in, it's so important that as South Africans, we have that mindset that, you know, we have to do for others because of just the context we come from. We talk about communication often, Chantal, when it comes to young people and the older generations. And there's a lot of talking down that happens in South Africa. You know, you speak about a concept of of hearing and allowing young voices to be heard and to rise above the older voices. Absolutely. I think communication is everything and and for me i'm so inspired and motivated by some of our youth when i listen to the two young gentlemen here and when you talk about giving back or, or giving a helping hand that's a generational thing and i believe that gives me hope when so often i think so many of us don't have hope anymore one of my colleagues a young intern again also said that the biggest thing for her in the workplace was getting feedback another one had said to me that Sometimes they feel undermined because they are young, they're desperate to learn, but they're not given the opportunity because this job is too big for you. And we've got to stop doing that. I don't know why we can't be more integrated in some ways. And um, we, we are all, we are all one, as you say, and we are all able to hold out a hand.
And let's do that more. And by bringing about that change, we will bring about generational change. You know, already you're talking about the fact that your your father was given an opportunity, which meant that you were able to have an opportunity. I think, you know, there's this culture of, I've been through this, therefore you should in the workplace. And it's such a it's such a very challenging one. It's very easy to, for me, at the bottom of the ladder to be like, oh, but like, you, you, you're complaining about what you struggled and therefore I should struggle through that, but times are not the same, you know? However, you know, as you're climbing up, right, and if you check yourself, you also have the, that kind of mentality when it comes to genius. And that's something I had to kind of learn that, okay, I'm no longer an intern, now, I'm a commissar, and these new interns are coming in. They've got hectic demands. Like, I can't do calls by myself. Like, what do you mean? I used to do calls by myself. Um, but at, at the end of the day, like, you need to think about it and say, okay, no, listen, don't be that person. Just because you suffer doesn't mean the next person needs to suffer. We need to be the people who kind of breed the change that we wanted to see and not kind of confine people who are coming behind us to the same problems we've been through. Because fast forward 20, 30 years, we're going to be the same people we don't like. Mm-hmm. at work and, and therefore we, we need to be open to that we need to be open to that and, and, and kind of let go of that mentality and if younger people are perceived to be softer right okay let's, let's work on that let, let's fine they're meant to be softer people have worked very hard <laughs> to, to make our lives softer and we should continue to work hard to make the next generation softer and we shouldn't confine people to like work shouldn't be something that's hard and that, that that's what that's what I believe. And I was going to raise the point about listening also to young people. You know, when you look at, I mean, even everything we consider life and even where we got into as a country, you know, it's always been led or initiated by young people. You think of what happened in 1976. You think of, you know, um, Nelson Mandela when he was at his prime of fighting sort of the regime. It was young people who were pushing that. You know, you think of Facebook, you think of Microsoft, you know, it was a young sort of Bill Gates. It was a young Mark Zuckerberg, even Investec. It was a young Stephen Kossif. And so it's so important to listen to young people because they're actually shape the world that they're going to live in. And so I think that's why it's so important right now that we listen to young people. And we still see that phenomenon today when you look at Fees Must Fall, which becomes a national agenda. It's not necessarily something that's just happening at WITS. You know, it permeates throughout society. And I think that's just such a powerful thought that we need to continuously listen to young people because Mm. they actually shape our future. You know, it's so important. We need to start rethinking how we are molding children from high school, going into varsity, going into the workplace, because we end up just talking about mental health issues and we'll end up talking about it for years and years and years to come. Because are we really dealing with the root cause? Are we genuinely helping young professionals such as yourselves who are not lucky enough to land in a corporate that really is is very forward-looking and who end up getting completely, like, just like a whirlwind of, of stress and chaos and, and and end up becoming unwell. I mean, can you imagine what a cabinet uh, meeting looks like when the average age is above 60 and they're talking about climate change? Uh, or, you know, there's this um, number 2050. They're saying 2050, um, there's a, a strong chance that the world will not be the way we know it now. Can you imagine people who don't see themselves living till then trying to take this issue seriously. It's very difficult. It goes the same way with most of the issues we have in this country or in the world, where if you're going to have people who are not going to live to see the future, 
or whatever we're talking about, then there's no point there should be. There's no point for them to be in those conversations. We should rather have people who say, okay, listen, I'll be there in 2050, hopefully, God willing. Um, and I would like to see the world in, 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 in a good shape. Yeah, and I think there's a definite need to say the time has perhaps come for some industries actually across the country. I'll step aside. I won't go away. I can be next to you. So that level of mentorship and support and critical skill and, you know, those 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell speaks of and which I really believe in, it's still there. But you're holding the hands of a younger generation who can really just go, excel and do magnificent things. You speak about the concept of the corporate athlete. Are there three tips that allow someone to be the ultimate athlete in the corporate environment? Yeah, 100%. I think the first thing is to think of your mind similarly to how you think of your body. The same way you'd go to a doctor, the same way you go to a physiotherapist. You know, the same way if you're, you've got a pain on the left side of your chest, you'd go see a cardiologist. So the same way we need to listen to our mind as a muscle, the same way, you know, soccer players need all these different sort of experts looking at their body so they can perform ultimately is the same way we need to look at our mind. Secondly, it's about balance. You know, there's no athlete that's able to perform constantly without rest and without having a balanced lifestyle. And so the second thing within the corporate environment, although it's important to perform at a high level, it's always important to have an element of balance. The third thing is that it's okay not to be okay. You know, not every player is good on every single day. Not every day is your best day. Not every day you're doing your personal best. And so that's okay. You are going to have days when it's not necessarily as good, but be kind to yourself. I think that's really important. I think it's important to understand that although different people have different propensities to developing mental health issues, you need to understand that you don't develop depression and anxiety or other mental health issues over a short space of time. It takes a while. It compounds according to how you deal with the stimuli that are facing you at each point in your life. So you, if you don't um, focus on yourself in terms of taking time off if you're not feeling well or exercising, eating well, avoiding negative coping mechanisms, those can all kind of compound to lead to you becoming less functional due to mental health. Chantal, you talked to us about it's important that the voices of young people and young professionals and students are heard. The question is how? I think that it's the employer's duty, if I may say, to be providing feedback to the, the youth that have come into an organization. I believe that checking in with them is, is so important. Listen to the youth, listen to their ideas, put problems to them and ask for answers on how to solve those problems. But I think there has to be also in the communication that we have to accept that people make mistakes and that's how you learn. So let's give people the opportunities to be able to grow and to be able to be heard. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. I want to thank each and every one of you you've brought to this discussion. Just a fresh way of thinking and about our mental health and how it is. Yes, it's in our hands, but ultimately it's about structures and support around us and being able to navigate this very, very difficult space we call life in a way that doesn't affect us negatively and being able to call out for help and go and seek help and, and normalize things like therapy and talking about, I need an absolute me day today because I just need to unwind and be okay. I love that. I particularly love corporate athlete. I promise you, Stella, I'm taking that with me. I'll credit you, of course, as any good journalist would. I'll credit you for that. But I love corporate athletes. I love the way you've all been thinking about this. And I thank you for joining me today. As the next generation of leaders, young professionals will require an enabling environment 
where mental health is prioritized, which will support growth and societal development in the long run for South Africa's future. This brings us to the end of today's episode for our Reimagined Mental Health series, brought to you by Investec Life, an authorized FSP and licensed insurer. If you'd like to listen to the next episode, please subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, goodbye from me, Katie Katapodas, and the Investec Life team.